Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, I know, I know that right now in June we're in what they call the dog days of summer, right? And temperatures outside, I mean, I mean, today you could feel like we had all four seasons in one day. You woke up, it was 60 degrees, rainy, drizzly, and then it turned hot. But for the most part, the month of June has been really, really hot, about, about 100 degrees, right? I mean, that's just kind of the dog days of summer. But here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to put that out of your mind for just a moment. You go, what do you mean? Here's what I want you to do. Okay, now I look at my wife when I say this because I know winter is her favorite, favorite time of year, but pretend it's winter. Imagine that it's winter, okay? I want you to imagine, okay, that you're on the mountaintop in the northeastern U.S., and that you walk outside and you're greeted by the sight of snow falling down. Not a blizzard, okay? We get blizzards. I mean, we get angry snow here in Lubbock, but not a blizzard. This is a gentle snow. This is just falling. It's one of those snows which you can see the big, big fluffy flakes and 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 sometimes we see in the wintertime and the snow is falling in such a way that you can see each individual flake as it falls gently from the sky to the ground. Do you have that? Do you have that image in your mind? Now, here's what I want you to do. There you are. You, you, you I want you to picture the snowflake. And you go, why? Now, even though I know this is all imaginary, what is the one thing you know for sure that each and every one of those snowflakes hitting the ground all around you? It's simply this. You ready? Each one of those snowflakes are unique. As Wilson Bentley proved in his photographs of snowflakes, each one taken in his turn in the 20th century, no two snowflakes are, are alike. We all know that. We've all heard that. You can go and look in Bentley's photographs. You can see for yourself. But, but here's the question. Why? Why are, why are these snowflakes different? Listen, it's because each snowflake, I don't know if you know this, each snowflake bears the scar, the scars of the journey from the sky to the ground. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? You see, every snowflake that, that, that's from up in the heavens, right? They all start off the same. They all start off, they all start off as crystals of ice within a cloud and, and formed by the freezing temperatures, but each crystal experiences different factors in their short lives which affect their final shape. The temperature of the sky as they're being formed, the altitude of the cloud from which it fell, the trajectory of the wind took it to earth, and a thousand other factors come together in order to shape the snowflake into what we see right before it hits the ground. You go, Pastor, really? Yeah, in other words, now listen, this is going to get good. Each snowflake that we see is a result of each response to the things in life that it experienced on its way to earth. You go, wow. See, see, every snowflake in heaven starts the same way. But they become unique by their journey from heaven to earth. And see, here's the thing. People are the same way. People are the same way. You are who you are because of your response to the things that you've experienced so far in this life. 
you are who you are because of the journey that you've had from the time that you were born. Now, as you continue this journey, this is who you are. These are the things you've experienced and the person that you're becoming. And the person, now listen, the person that you will be at the end of your life. See, it's all dependent on how you respond to your future experiences in life, especially what we call trials and tribulations. Again, your attention, please think about the snowflake. It starts off just like any air, and with the winds and the trajectory and all that's going on and the temperature, by the time you see it, you go, oh, look at that beautiful snowflake. No two snowflakes are alike, and it's the same with us. But how did we get this way? How did we get this way? Well, it's the same way. As you begin the lives and you begin your different journeys and, and everyone has different choices and different experiences, listen. You see, who you are today is really dependent on how you responded to all of your experiences in life. Especially, now listen, trials and tribulations. You see, when trials and tribulations come our way, there are really only two options for us. You go, what are they? Well, they can either make us what? Better, or they can make us bitter. Every one of us, guys, is going to experience trials and tribulations. The option is, is this trial, is this tribulation, is this journey I'm on, is the choices I've made, is it going to make me better, or is it going to make me bitter? I want, you, I want you to think about that. I want you to feel the weight of that, right? Why? Well, again, think about this, right? I've entitled tonight's message, The Trials of Life Will Make You Better or They Will Make You Bitter. Now, here's the Captain Obvious question, okay? Here's the Captain Obvious question, right? What are they? Have you in this room ever endured a trial? You go, Pastor Ben, seriously? Right? We all, that's, we all endure trials. We all endure tribulations. We all have storms. We all have these things that we just, we don't understand. It's the thing we call life. It's this thing we call life. And of course, guys, I know you have. You go, well, like what? Well, it's those things in life, you know, that, that throws our way. You go, what? Well, a trial, a tribulation, a storm could be something like an unexpected layoff. You were thinking, I'm doing great at my job. I'm about to get a promotion. I've got a raise. And the boss comes in and says, sorry, I can't use you anymore. Here you go. What am I going to do? Am I going to find a job? I mean, it could, that could be a trial. I mean, another one could be a sickness. It could be a sickness. When you go to the doctor and the doctor looks at you and says, listen, I have some bad news. Now, if the doctor always starts off with, I'm sorry, we're in trouble, aren't we? I'm sorry to tell you this. Oh. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? How's this going to play out? You go, well, what else, Pastor? I mean, guys, stress. Stress in everyday life. All right? What about discouragement? Discouragement. No, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I don't get discouraged. I have joy. No, 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 no. Listen, there are times in life, honestly, if we're serious, I mean, we get discouraged. Start going, really? Is this, is this it? Is this it? And we get discouraged, and some of us even get depressed. We get depressed, right? You go, when does depression When does depression start? Well, for some of us, it's when we figure out we have no hope. You look at all the circumstances in your life, and you go, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that brings about that discouragement, and that brings about that depression. 
Guys, if we can be honest in church, there are even times when we go, I'm a Christian, then we can still get depressed. We can still get bummed out. We can still get distorted and we can still be lost and, and we can still travel in darkness. And, and being a Christian is that, yeah, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to have that foundation and we need to surround ourselves with those who are lifting our hands up. But there are times that life does this to us. And it's been often said, now listen up, Christian, it's been often said that as a Christian, we are either headed for a trial, you might be right in the middle of a trial, or you have just come out of a trial. That's, that's what's going on, right? For some of us, we're like, okay, I'm headed right in for a trial. Some of us are right in the middle. You're like, I'm in, I'm, I, I am there, or you just come out, and you're just like, whew. And the thing about it, guys, is we all have trials in life. But here's the question. What do these trials, what do these storms, what are they producing in your life? Isn't that the real question? And I'm telling you this, guys, and I'm begging you this, and this is a topical study because I'm going, listen, if we're going to win the world for Jesus Christ, all of them are looking at us, and the trials and the choices and the things we made and, and the mistakes we made, what are they doing? What are they producing in us? And the world looks at us and go, and you want me to be a Christian? What do I see? And here's the exhortation for you and I to say, yes, yes, I want to be, well, I want to be more like Jesus. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you better for going through your trial? Or are you bitter coming out of it? Are you better for the storms that you faced? Are you better for the journey in your life? Or are you bitter coming out of it? Second Samuel chapter 1. Guys, gives us some amazing insight into David's heart. You see, the Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart, and yet I'm encouraged by the fact that David is just as human as you and I. I'm encouraged that this mighty man, David, King David, he makes mistakes just like I did, just like you did. Do you realize that David gets bummed? David gets so bummed out. David overthinks things. Do I have any overthinkers over here? Do I have any overthinkers? They just overthink. You are thinking about it. 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 And you're overthinkers, right? And sometimes it's like that. We're not here to overthink stuff, but that's David. David over, he just, just thought about it all the time. Overthought it. We can say, probably safety, that David had a lot of trials in his life, right? If you were to read the Psalms, you'd go, yeah, that dude's crazy. The dude is out of control. I mean, David went from from high, high, high Jesus to low, low, low. What am I going to do, right? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. No, he didn't say that. That's just a rhyme. That's just a song. But we can say that David did that, guys. He faced a lot of challenges. He faced a lot of tribulations, and, and, and he endured many, many storms. You go, how so? Well, let me give you some background. Think about this as David, okay? This is what David has been through, basically, his life, okay? Number one, think about it. David has been on the run from King Saul for the last 10 to 12 years, okay? He, he has not been home. He's out on the run. People, he's got a hit out on him, okay? He's the guy that walks up to a strange town and he sees the wanted, dead or alive poster of himself. How would you feel? This is David, man. He's out on the run, right? And it's not just, it's not just the police that's looking for him. It's the king. 
And the king will spare no, right? He'll spare no expense. I want David dead. I'm out of here. He's gone, right? That's the first thing. Now, you've got to ask the question, why did King Saul want him dead? Why did he want him dead? Well, let's go back for a moment and think about David's early life before we answer that question, right? What a remarkable life David lived. You go, well, like what? Think about that. David is called to be a shepherd, and I think there's a lot of us who would really want to be a shepherd, don't you think? Why? Because you're out there, and there's no distractions, and there you are, and you can praise God, and David would sing with the stars, and he'd see all of the sheep. Of course, now there'd be problems, right? Why? Well, because as a shepherd, although you have that just serenity, and that peace, and God, and you feel his presence, you also have, well, they may not be people, but you know David, right? David had to kill a lion, and he had to kill a bear, right? They were coming after the sheep, And David had to kill them, right? What was God doing? God was preparing him for his battle against Goliath. You know, isn't that really important in our lives? Let me just say this to you. Please, if you think that you're here today and you go, God, what are you doing? Let me tell you what, he's preparing you for something greater. Can I just say this to you, okay? If you have not celebrated the victories, the little victories, you guys need to celebrate those things, right? Nobody knew about the bear. Nobody knew about the lion, but God did. And God said, listen, David, this is just, this is just, I'm just getting you ready, bud. There's going to be a greater, there's going to be a greater victory. Let me ask you a question, right? While we're on the subject, how many of us get impatient with God? And we think he's not moving. How many of us go, oh, God's not doing anything. And yet all the while, all the while, he's already doing something. He's working behind the scenes, and it's going to be a greater victory than you could ever imagine. Here's our problem. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. Why? Because we've done the same things, it's the same things, the same things day in and day out, day in and day out, and we don't see anything different. But guys, that doesn't mean that, that God's not working. Trust me. Trust. There's David. Okay, what else? Well, guess what? David got to serve, right, as an attendant to King Saul. And he also became a, a beloved friend to Jonathan. That's part of it. And, and, of course, we talked about David being exiled, right, in the wilderness of Judea. He was out there. He was a fugitive. And listen, as he was hiding from Saul, what else was happening? He was learning to trust the Lord more and more. And he patiently waited for the Lord to give him the promised throne. David, you're going to be king. I'm going to be king, right? I'm going to be king. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. All of a sudden, Saul's like, you know, King Saul's like, uh-uh, not on my watch, boy, and goes after him, right? Now, listen, here's the thing. God, whoa, 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 time out, time out, Lord, Lord, hey, uh, You promised me king. Now, this guy wants to kill me. What gives? I don't hear nothing. I better run. So he takes off, right? He takes off running, right? Again, think about it. He's waiting for the Lord. In order for you to do great things for Jesus, you have to trust him greatly. In order for you to do great things, you have to trust him. And all your life, he wants to build that trust. He wants to build that trust. You guys with me? You you understand that? He wants to build that trust. Say amen if you do. 
Okay, but, 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 listen, listen, on the same token, you've got an enemy who's going, I want to create doubt. I want to shoot some fiery darts and I want to create doubt. I don't want you to trust the Lord. I want you to not trust the Lord. I want you to trust your own understanding. I want you to trust what you see. I want you to trust what you can't see. Oh, so now you got this war. Okay. And that creates a trial. That's a great. I'm supposed to trust Jesus. Okay. I'm in the midst, but how can I trust Jesus if I'm on the run? How can I be king if King Saul is after me and he wants to kill me? What if he kills me? Then is God a liar? I mean, come on. What's going on? And the devil's like, yes, he is. Oh, he's going to kill you. And, and David wants to what the Bible says. He strengthens himself. He strengthens himself. Now, we're in 2 Samuel, okay? But listen, throughout all of 1 Samuel, guess what? Think about this. And I want you to think about this, and I want you to put yourself in David's sandals. Throughout all of 1 Samuel, he has been hunted <laughs> like a common criminal. I mean, think about this, guys. Could you do that? He, he has been stalked and hunted like just the common criminal. This is David. And the problem is, is David's thinking, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, seriously, right? Why am I a fugitive from my, from my people? Why am I a fugitive from my family? I didn't do anything wrong. Let me ask you this. How many of you have been through a trial? You go, Pastor, that's Captain Obvious. Hello, right? That's what you're saying. David had spears thrown at him. I mean, I mean I'm just like, whoa, right? David had thrown... When was the last time you had a spear thrown at you? Well, pastor, I'm not, right? Right? Can you imagine? There you are, and you're playing your harp, and all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden, the, the, the king's like, right? And it's just like, I mean, seriously, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Think about Josh, right? There's Josh, and he gets home, and he's like, hey, how you doing? He gets out his guitar, and he starts playing, and the king's like, I don't want to hear that song. And he throws a spear at Josh. I mean, that's a trial. That's a trial. Right? Right? Think about it. He had spears thrown at him. Guys, at one point, he was surrounded Let me just say this. Do you realize that our our brother David was so discouraged at one point that he actually joined the Philistine army? He was so discouraged. He said, I'm just, "Mm." And moving forward in his life, guys, where does he end up? He ends up in a town called Ziklag. Ziklag, right? And, 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 And this Philistine city tries to fight for Achish, the Philistine king. God says, no, 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 David, you're not going to fight for Achish, Right? What happens? Well, moving forward, David, now listen, let me ask you, you've had trials, you've had tribulations, but David has had everything taken from him. You realize that. He comes back to Ziklag. The Amalekites had come in and burned it all down, took, the, took all the men's wives, the kids, everything. David comes back to nothing, to nothing, Right? And as a matter of fact, when David comes back and he sees that, the men, his men, his guys who are supposed to be loyal, started to turn on him. Oh, we need to kill David. Look what happened. What happens when we follow David? When you follow David, look what happens. Ziklag's burned down. All our children are gone. All our wives are gone. All our livestock are gone. Now, you sit there in a Bible study like this and you go, Pastor, that's an interesting story. But let me ask you this. How would you like it to go home right after the Bible study? You you, You pull up to your house and everything in your house is gone. Completely. Well, that's a whole different story. 
That's evident. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's okay if David, hold on, that's a Bible story, man. That's an Old Testament. But, but I want you to think about it, guys. Think about it. This is, this is the whole town. David loses everything. He loses his wives, his children, his house burned down. And you go, why, pastor? Because, because the king of Israel was in rebellion and wanted him dead. Now, can we relate? And you go, Ben, I've never, listen, dude, I never had anybody throw spears at me. I've never had my children taken away from me and my wives or, or my stuff, or I haven't had any, I haven't been a fugitive for 10 years, right? I haven't been on the run. So to the extent of David, no. But here's what I want to show you tonight. I want to show you David's heart. You go, why is that? Because tonight we're going to see how David is going to really react to the trials of life. Okay, we're going to see how he reacts. Now, storms, trials, do they really make us better or do we allow them to make us bitter? Let me, let me say that again, okay? Or, or let's do this, okay? If you're taking note, jot this down in your Bible somewhere, okay? This is a good place right here. Here's what you should ask. Do I react to life's trials? How do I react to life's trials and tribulations? That's a good point, right? How do I react to life's trials and tribulations? I think that's a good question to ask. How do I react? What's being produced in me when I go through a tough day at work? You know what I'm talking about. It's not even a Monday, and you walk in, and you forgot you left the coffee on yesterday, and so now you have burnt coffee, and it smells horrible, and now you got to clean that up, and the whole day just starts awful. You guys know what I'm talking about. We're talking about like a seriously bad day, and, and the question is, is that, is that okay, so, so you, it's not a spear thrown at you, and, and you're not, you, know, you don't have a hit out on your life, but it's a bad day. It's a really bad day, and it comes to, becomes even a worse day, and it just gets worse and worse. And all you want to do is you want to go back too bad because you want to start the day over. Here's my question to you. Here's the question that, that, that I think needs to be posed. How do I react to life's trials? How do I react to the tribulations? Now listen to the way James puts it, right? Go over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Turn with me there. You should already be there because I gave you those places. Listen to the way James puts it. We're only going to look at three verses, but but I want you to feel the weight of this. Notice what he says. He starts off in James chapter 1. He says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve which are scattered abroad. Now here's what I want you to note first and foremost, okay? He says, James, a bondservant of God. Who is this James? We know James was the half-brother of Jesus. And what I find interesting is, is that we understand that James, prior to the resurrection, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not believe that. Ah, it's my brother. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I don't know what's going on. You know, guys, let's just, Jesus, come on, Jesus, Jesus calm, calm down with this whole religious talk. But after the resurrection, James says, he is the Messiah. And so he writes the letter, but notice what he says. He says, James, but he, listen, he doesn't name drop, right? Like, like if I'm writing this letter, I'd be like, hey, Ben, half-brother of Jesus. I want some cred, right? I want some street, half-brother. He doesn't do that. Why? He says, I'm a bondservant of, what's that? I'm a bondservant of God. It's the word doulos. It just means I'm a slave or a servant of God. Can I just say this to you guys? 
When you step out of the realm of in the world to salvation and a follower of Jesus Christ, you then become a servant of God. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, being a servant of God. And so the question you've got to ask is you've got to check your heart. Lord, am I your servant? Am I following my own desires, my own will, everything I want, or am I truly a servant of you? Do I do what you ask me to do, or do I, do I bounce to the beat of my own drum? James says, I'm a bondservant. You guys with me? James says, I'm a bondservant. No, notice what he says in verse 2. He says, um, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, notice what he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, here's what I love. James is writing to who? He's writing to believers. Why? Because you don't call non-believers brethren. He says, brethren. He says, now listen, I've got a message for you. You ready? There's going to be some trials. Here's what I want you to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, as servants of Jesus Christ, you need to count it all joy when, notice the word when, right? Everybody see that in their Bible? When, not if, you fall into various trials. Pastor, what are you saying? James is saying that you and I need to, what, count it all joy. If you have a pencil handy, circle that word for joy. It means cheerfulness, gladness, and delight. Delight. It's true confession time. True confession. You ready? I don't know when the last time I, I was so happy that I fell into a trial. I didn't count it joy. Oh, joy, I, this is, most of the time, you guys know, right? You fall into a trial and you're just, you're, you're, you're really tripping, man. You're just, there might even be some tears and there might even be like, and, and, and how many of us when we're in the midst of a trial, do we not pray, God, get me out of this one? God, I, I how many of us say when we're right in the middle of a storm, God, I can't handle this. I need you. Please get me out of this. See, I think the goal is, is that we should count it joy. Man, the closest I've ever seen to someone count it all joy, the closest I've seen is when they gave us the worst news of our lives and they said, Ben, your wife has cancer. And my wife stood even in the midst of brokenness and she said, to God be the glory. That's the closest I've seen that there would be joy in the midst of a major downpour. She had to do some work there. And she had to go back and say, God, what is this for? But I'll tell you what, to God be the glory, she blew everybody's socks off there at the chemo place. Why are you so happy? There's Natalie, right? She's hooked up to chemo. She's walking around, talking to people. They're like, get back into your stall. What are you doing? She's ministering to people. She's telling them. And, and, and I'm like chasing her like, you need to sit. Come, come over here. You're supposed to be, she's, anyway, so the point is, is that's, that's the closest, right? Cheerfulness, gladness, delight. Are you delighting in the fact that you're in a trial? No, you're delighting in who God is. You're delighting in that God is with you and God has his arms around you and God's never going to leave you and God's never going to forsake you. That's what you're happy about. You're just like, oh, pastor, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. He says, when you fall into what? When you fall into various trials. You go, what does that mean? Again, you can circle that word. It means tests, examinations, life experiences. That's what's going to happen, okay? 
there's going to be an exam. There's going to be a test. Why, James? Everybody say, why, James? Because verse 3, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience. Guys, that's what he says. That word patience is hupomoneo, and it means to stick to it mentally. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's that stick to itness. It's like, I'm not going to let go till the end. I'm going to stick. That's what he means. So the, the testing of your faith, right? The joy, the testing of your faith, knowing that it produces something in us. What does it produce, church? It produces that stick to itness. It produces patience. You go, well, what, what, really, what's the whole case? You guys ready? Jot this down if you're in James, right there, right? Just put this somewhere in your Bible. God is growing you up. God is growing you up. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to do. I love the fact that God tries to grow us up even though it hurts at times. But you do the same thing to your kids, don't you? Right? Kids grow up fast. They grow up fast. I'll never forget when Miranda was three months old. You need to understand that Miranda, my youngest daughter, who's now going to be 29 at three months old, would not sleep at all. Okay? She, she would not sleep. She was up all the time. She cried. She had, she had these worst allergies. And in three months, I could not wait for her to be six months in a year. It was, it was taxing. It really was. It was, it, I mean, it was so bad. We used to say, okay, I'm going to take, you know, if, you, if they're so tired, you can take them for a ride in the car and they'll fall asleep. Miranda was allergic to the exhaust in the car, the fumes. So taking her for a ride would not, she would even get worse. We would, I would walk, I would walk her in the stroller in the house probably 150 times and she'd fall asleep. But we couldn't take her out. We couldn't take her out because as soon as you did, she woke up. Baby, I don't know how we survived that. But I know this, I couldn't wait till she was grown up. Now, here's the thing. I, I want her back. As, a, as, a, as the little girl, this time goes by so fast. But the point when we do this, and I see Olivia over there going, mm-hmm, time goes by fast. Why? But the point is, is that you want, you want to just grow them up. You want to grow them up well. That's what God's doing. God's looking at us and saying, okay, I want, I want to grow you up. Now, here's the thing, right? And, and here's what we need to understand. Here's what the Word of God says. God says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, he said, God sends the rain to what? He says to the just and the unjust, okay? So trials are going to come whether you're a believer or a non-believer. Rain comes to the just and the unjust. So in this life, we are going to experience some rain. And there's going to be times in your life when that rain, you'll walk out and it'll be a beautiful rain and you'll think, man, this is raining. There'll be other times when it won't stop raining and it'll be a storm. And then there'll be other times when the rain seems to be going sideways because of the wind and it's a major storm. But we will all experience these things. We'll all experience storms and disappointments. And the problem is, in this life, they're coming. They're coming. Way to go, Ben. Way to encourage people. 
Now, but we understand that they produce something. So we understand what James is trying to say. Now, let's say goodbye to Mr. James, okay? And, and let's go back to the book of Ruth, okay? We want to go back to Ruth because before we discover how David reacts, I want to take a moment to illustrate basically another Bible person who reacted to the trials in life different than what David did, okay? And this is the book of Ruth, okay? Let me just kind of go over it just real quickly. We won't spend a whole lot of time there. There was a famine in the land, okay? And so what happens in verse 1, there's a famine. They move out. They move out of their hometown. They move out of family and friends, okay? The problem is, is now she becomes a widow. Her husband dies, right? Now, she had two sons, and so her husband dies, and now she's a widow, but she's got her two sons. They marry Moabite, Moabite wives, okay? So they're not Jewish wives. They're now Moabite wives. And so all of a sudden, her sons are like, okay, well, at least you guys are happy. Amen. I think I'd be happy as long as I got my boys and I've got my daughter-in-laws. This is going to be good. Okay, this is going to be good. Listen, it's been tough, right? It's been tough because I'll tell you why. Because when you lose somebody you love very, very, very much, that's a trial in life. That's something that you're going to have to go through. And so, say, Naomi did that. She, she lost her husband. That's okay. It's okay. I still have my faith. I got my boys. Until tragedy happens again. She loses her two boys. She loses her two boys. And you're like, wow. Could you imagine? Her husband dies. Her sons die, and they leave her. They leave her in a strange place all alone. Now, over in Ruth chapter 1, verse 13, here's what I want you to see, right? Moving down just a little bit, she decides to go back, right? She's like, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm, I, I need to go back. And, and uh, basically, the daughters say, well, we'll, we'll come with you. We'll come with you, you know, Mom. Um, you know, we'll 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 just come with you. And so, look look what happens, guys. Look what happens in verse thirteen. She says, "No, my daughters." It says, "For it grieves me very much for your sake that what that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, against me." Do you guys see that in verse thirteen? A little bit. Uh, I call it verse thirteen B. Right? She's going to go back, and she says, "Come with me." They want to go with her, and she's like, "No." But here's what she says. The Lord has gone out against me. Can you imagine? I went, I went out full. And, and, now, and now I'm empty. And now I'm empty. The Lord. The Lord. I'll move a little bit further. Verse 13, jump over to verse 19, 19. It says, now the two of them, okay, went. Now, one of them, Orpah, went back, but, but, but Ruth kept going, and the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, it's Naomi. But notice what she says. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Why? For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Guys, if you're taking note, Naomi means pleasant. That's her name. Her name means pleasant. Okay? She goes, I'm Naomi. And so, so when she's coming home, the, strike up the band. Dun, da, 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 here comes Naomi. And the first thing she says is, don't call me, don't call me pleasant. She says, call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. Bitter. Right? Now, now here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. God is going to redeem Naomi in a most amazing way. The problem is, is that she didn't see the full picture. And so she entered what we would call a major storm, Okay, and instead of getting better, instead of walking with Jesus, instead of instead of being an example, and 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 I, and I guess the best way to put it, guys, is is being a light in a very dark world. Naomi said, "No, no, no, no! Don't even call me pleasant anymore. Just call me call me bitter, because this is this is my lot in life. These are the cards that God. These are the cards that God handed me." Guys, we do that. You don't know how many times people say, you know, well, God could have stopped this in my life and God could have stopped that. And there was something I was about to do and God could have saved it and God could have worked it. But but we need to take a step back and we're looking at it from our perspective and we're not looking at it from God's perspective. We're not seeing it from, from the eyes of God. Now, listen, I guarantee you, I'm with you. Please, please don't misunderstand me. I am with you when we're sitting there and we're in the midst of this major storm and, and we're saying, God, you could do this. Why didn't you do this? Lord, where, where are you in this? God, why am I so discouraged? Why am I so bummed? Why do I have the same job when you know I hate that job? Why can't you just miraculously see? Why can't I just, where's my phone? Why can't I just get a phone call and then God, you just offer me the best job you're out there? Listen, God, this is, we, we've got this dialogue going on and God's going, no, 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 I have something far better, but you're not, why, you're not seeing it. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that I want, I want to grow you up and part of growing you up means that there's going to be some trials and there's going to be some tribulations and there's going to be some rain in your life and there's going to be, there's going to be some decisions you make that you won't consider me with, but now I'll have to come in and I'll have to come and I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. But at the end of the day, guys, you will take your final breath knowing, you will take your final breath knowing that he's grown you up. That he's grown you up. I see, I, I see it in scripture. Right? Here's what we know about Ruth, guys. We know, we know that again, early on, she didn't, re- I don't know, how would you react? How would you react? Naomi lost everything. She lost her she lost her home, she lost her family, she lost her friends. She lost everything that was important to her. She lost her husband. Her two boys died. One of the daughter-in-laws, she's like, "Please go back." And she's like, "All right." And, she, and, and, and Ruth's like, no, I, I'm going to stay with you. Ruth, please, listen, I'm not going to have any more sons. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to go through this pain again, Ruth. I'm not going to go through this pain. 
And even if I did, even if I found somebody, are you going to wait till they grow up to be? And, and so Ruth's like, listen, I'm just going to go with you. I'm just, I'm just going to go with you. And as they walk into Bethlehem, people are like, yay, it's pleasant. And she's like, mm-mm. Pleasant died in Moab. My name is Bitter. My name is Bitter. Well, we do know this in chapter 4, verse 17. Also, the neighbor woman gave her the name saying that there's one son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. So here's what we know. Now we get to see how David reacts. Well, he's gonna, is he going to react like, right? Is he going to react like his great-grandmother's great mother-in-law, right? Is he going to be bitter? Is he going to say, change my name from David, man. Things have just been a mess. Or is he going to, is he going to be better, better? And that's where we pick up our story, guys. First Samuel chapter 1, it says this. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David had stayed two days in Ziklag. So here's what we know, guys. King Saul is dead, okay? The very man who helped kept, who kept David from all he loved is dead. David returns from the slaughter of the Amalekites. Guys, the Amalekites in chapter in 1 Samuel 30 were the ones who stole the families and the possessions and all of that. So David defeats the Amalekites, and he brought everything back. So God's already working. Now, here's what I want you to see. Do you guys see this? Now, I want to talk about um, the Amalekites for just a moment, okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul was commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites. God, God says, Saul, kill the Amalekites right? Do not leave anyone. Wipe them out from the face of the earth. Wipe out. There should not be any Amalekites. Here's why. Do you guys remember in the Exodus, the Amalekites were the ones hiding and killing the stragglers when Israel came out of Egypt. All the poor little grandmas were getting picked off at the end. The Amalekites were doing that. And so God's like, no, 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 no. That doesn't happen in my economy. Kill them. Saul, Saul doesn't kill them. He doesn't kill them. We see that in 2 Samuel, they're still around, and they're still causing trouble. They're the ones who raided Ziklag. They burned down the house they carried. They're still causing trouble. Now, here's what I want you to learn about Amalekite, okay? Do you guys see that in your Bible real quick? The Amalekite in Scripture have often been used as the flesh. When they tell us to crucify the flesh, it's the same as him saying crucify, what? The Amalekites. It's a, it's a type of our carnal nature, Right? Now, I don't have a whole lot of time because I'm running out of time, but, but let me just kind of, let me, can, I, can I just give you just a quick comparison, okay? Think about it, the Amalekites in the flesh. You go, well, like what? Well, number one, our fleshly nature, Amalek, like our fleshly nature, Amalek focuses on the attack and the tired and the weak. Let me just say this to you. When are you going to be most likely attacked? When you're tired and you're weak. That's exactly when it is. Man, you wake up refreshed on Monday morning. You're like, yeah. By Friday night, you're like, I'm tired. When do you think you're going to be attacked? When you're tired. That's exactly what Amalekite does, Amalek does, right? How about this? Like our fleshly nature, Amalek does not fear God. Right? It's our spirit that wants to worship. Our flesh is like, mm -mm, I want to sleep. No, we should get up and spend time with God. Mm -mm, you can get up. I'm going to lay right here and dream some more. That's... It's like Amalek, right? 
Like our fleshly nature, guys, God promises to one day completely blot out the remembrance of Amalek. And I love that. I love that. Because my, my spirit and my flesh, they battle each other. So it goes on in, in 2 Samuel 2, or 2 Samuel 1, verse 2. It says, On the third day, behold, it happened when a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And so when it came to David, he fell on the ground and prostrated himself and said to David, when David said to him, where have you come from? And he said, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me, he answered. And, and the people have fled from the battle and many of the people have fallen are dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. Now I want you to see, okay, what's happening? This is a trial going on right here. You go, how so? Okay, David just got back from from what? From raiding and taking back all that the Amalekites had taken and the phone rings and and it's bad news. Right here. Right? This is this is often we often use this quote. Well, man, when it rains it pours. Right? What what's going to happen next? I mean, that's literally what happens. He's like, I just got back. What's going on in the battle? Oh, by the way, Saul and your and your BFF, Jonathan is dead. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa. There was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Okay? So what's he saying? He's like, yeah, I happened to be there by chance. No, 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 no. You know what he was? He was called the camp follower. You go, what is, this is the guy who would follow the dead? Right? They would watch the soldiers die, and then they would, he would just pick their stuff. He would take their stuff. He's known as a camp follower. Right? So he goes to David. What's he hoping for? He's hoping for some great reward. Right? Ding dong, King Saul is dead. Right? You give, me, give me some reward. Because that's what he does. He goes through and is like, are you dead? I mean, we see that, right? We, we call them today grave robbers. Right? You, you bury somebody with, with jewels and everything. Man, they used to go and they used to just dig the body up and take the gold and everything else. And that's what this guy's doing. And he says, and, and listen, I just, I, just, I just happened to be walking by and Saul was there. Right? He was dead. He was dead. Right? The thing about it, it's a lie because we see in 1 Samuel 31.5 that Saul's armor bearer, saw that he was dead. Anyway, he goes on in verse 7, and he said, and he looked behind him, and he saw him, and he called to me and answered, here I, here I am, and he said to him, who are you? Notice what he says, guys, notice. So I answered, I'm a what? I'm an Amalekite. Wait, 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 time out. Weren't you supposed to kill these guys? And so here's this Amalekite, right? And he said to me, please stand over me and kill me. And anguish has come upon me, for my life still remains. And he stood over him, and he killed him, because I was sure he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought him here to my Lord. Now, here's the question. Why would this man walk 80 miles for the crown of Saul and report, right, the news to David? Why would he do this? Here's the crown. Because he was hoping for a reward, right? right? In other words, modern day would be, David, 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 I got good news. I got good news, right? What is that? You can stop running. Saul is dead. I helped. Yay, long live King David. And since I was the one who's helped and I'm the one who told you good news, remember me in your kingdom. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to note David's reaction. Look at verse 11. Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes toward them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul 
and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Here's what I want you to know. David was not bitter. Why? Because Saul was never an enemy of David. He never was. But you, you want to learn something from this, guys? David was on the run. He was a fugitive for 10 to 12 years because Saul was just, he was just whacked out of his mind and, and chasing David. But now that he's dead, look what David does. David tears his clothes, right, in mourning, and he fasts. You go, wow. But here's what I want you to see. If, if you want to be a good leader in this life, Notice what David does. Why? Because check it out. It says that the men who were with him did the same thing. He was a great leader by example. You want to be a leader? You want to be a great leader? Be a good follower first. You want to be a great leader? Be a good follower and then watch your leader. David goes, oh, and they followed him. And he said, but listen, David, David, time out. Why are you not... David says, no, this is, I've gotten so, so much better. He could have been bitter and he could have just said, man, King Saul's dead. Finally, let's party. Man, I've had a rough life, but he doesn't. Now, here's the example, okay? Here's the example. And we're going to close. We'll close here in just a moment, okay? As believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, Amen. When you go through a trial, when you go through a storm, when you go through a situation, when, you, when you're right in the midst of rain, how you react says more about your relationship with God than it does about you. Let that sink in. How you react to the storms in life says more about the God you serve than about you. Everybody expected David to go, well, right. And David goes, no, no, my heart is broken. Why? Because that was God's anointed. That was Saul. That was the king God. Now, he may have not done anything right. He was still king. He was the one. And you can see David's heart. Here's the exhortation to us, guys. Here's the exhortation. When it comes to the trials that we'll face every single day, if we are not rooted and grounded in who Jesus is, the world looks at you and says, man, that speaks volumes to your relationship with God. That speaks volumes. How do we react? Well, pastor, sometimes I blow it. Me too. Amen. But I want to grow to the place that when a trial comes up, I can, I can shine the light of who Jesus is in the midst of that. In the midst of that. That's what I want. And I can't do it without Jesus. I can't do it without keeping my eyes on him. I can't do it without seeing the end result. I can't. You go, Pastor, really? I can't do it without Jesus, guys.
Let me leave you with one last story. Growing up in a Catholic home, I didn't know Jesus. We we did we did the Catholic thing. We, you know, we went to the church. I made my first holy communion. I did all of that thing, but I didn't know I didn't know who Jesus was. And I went through one of the major, one of the most hardest trials. Like thirteen years old. Your, my sister, my oldest sister, dies from lung cancer. I remember guys pushing her in the wheelchair, praying to God that she would get better, praying she couldn't walk from the living room. And I, I saw her take her final breath. That was, that was a big storm. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, I went through a lot of trials there. I went through a lot of loneliness, a lot of discouragement. I went through a lot of, of, of soul-seeking and soul-searching. And at 17, I finally surrendered my life to God. You see, because I realized that it wasn't about, it wasn't about religion. It, wasn't about, it was about a relationship with the God that created me. And from the time that I gave my life to Jesus, I never thought I'd be standing here preaching the word of God. I just, I just knew that I needed Jesus. I just knew that I needed something more than, than I could give. I just didn't have the strength. I, it wasn't in me. And so at 17, I surrendered my heart and said, God, please come into my life and change me. I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm going to follow you. And that decision led me on a path to the best decision of my life. And I'll never forget what my dad told me. And I shared this with somebody the other day. I'll never forget what my dad told me. I was so scared. I was like, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And, and he looked at me with such love. And, and, he so, and he told me, son, he says, you believe what you think is right. And I believe what I think is right. And that freed me so much. Why? Because here's the thing. My dad was more interested in the relationship than being right or being wrong. And so my point is to you tonight, guys, that without Jesus, some of these trials will try to wipe you out. And, and there's, not, there's not a heritage. There's not a, there's not a denomination. There's not, there's, it's, it's just you and Jesus. That's who we got to cling to. When those trials come, that's who we cling to. God, help me. I don't want to be bitter. I want to grow, and I want to be a great testimony for who you are. And that's the exhortation I have for you tonight. Trials in life will either make us better, and you go, well, pastor, I'm bitter right now. Then step out of that, right? God has something greater for you, okay? Naomi, we're gonna, you're going to be Naomi again. Let's, let's, let's drop the Mara clothes, and let's say, okay, okay, God, how is this going to be better? How is this going to be better? And then just be patient. Just wait on him. Just wait. Just wait. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and uh, your, your, your mercy. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for David's heart, God. The biggest trial, God, his king and his best friend died on the same day. 
and he worships you and he honors you. Teach us that, O Lord. Be with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.